Hi, I'm Jordan Laurel, and welcome to my show where we make the human experience magical through mental health, mindset, and manifestation. My story is one of radical transformation and rebirth. From depressed, disempowered, and dependent to flourishing within an incredible life I've created, this podcast is me sharing my process of overcoming and creating a magical human experience to help support you as you do the same. Tune in every Monday to feel empowered through stories, wisdom, and lots of super practical tips. Because I am proof, you can change your entire life and manifest a life beyond your wildest dreams. Welcome to the Magical Human Experience Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, friends. I hope you guys had a great weekend, a great start to the week. August is flying by. I don't know where it's going. I am moving. If you missed it, if you don't follow me on Instagram, come join the party. I would love to see you over there, but I share a lot more of my life and updates and I'm moving in about two and a half weeks and I am definitely (laughs) stressed. Um, So much to do before then. And then I fly back to the East Coast a couple of days later and I am basically traveling for probably a month, if not more. And I'm so excited. I'm going to spend time with family. I'm going to see old friends. I'm going to be up in New York, go to some New York Fashion Week stuff. But there is a lot that needs to happen between now and then. So yeah, trying to stay on top of everything. But I'm really excited for this week's episode. It is, I mean, if you guys follow me, you know that I am a lot of what I'm doing is trying to help you create a life that feels good, that you love, to help you feel good, because when we feel good, we do good and we create good. We create amazingness. And that is kind of really what manifestation is all about, right? It's about feeling good. We think that we are coming to manifestation for things like a partner, a home, money, a job, whatever, the car, dream vacation, but what we're really coming to manifestation for is a feeling, right? It's it's not those things per se that we actually want, whether we realize it or not. Uh, it took me a while to realize what I was actually after was the feeling, but it's, it's how those things make us feel that we're actually after, right? Like if the partner makes you feel shitty, you don't want the partner anymore. It's all about feeling. Everything is. So what we're trying to manifest is a specific feeling, but then also that's how you get it, right? Being an energetic match involves embodying the person who has the thing and the person who has the thing feels the feeling of already having it. So if you're manifesting love, feeling super loved, if you're manifesting wealth, you're feeling super abundant, you know, you're feeling free, you're feeling stable, secure. It really, so much of it is about feeling, but so much of feeling stems from our life, our mind, our body. And that's why I spend a lot of time helping you guys heal work on your mental health, step into your personal power, being able to be emotionally resilient, having a mindset of steel, like all of those things support you in feeling good now and therefore help you create what you want in your life and then feel good, even more good (laughs) later. So, so much is about feeling, but feelings also come from chemicals that our brains produce. And A lot of those feel-good chemicals are serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and then endorphins. And so today's guest, it was such an amazing conversation. It was so educational for me because she just kind of helped break down what those happy chemicals are and how to create more of them, right? Because it's a very, it's such a practical, scientific approach to feeling good, but I think 
anything and everything we can do to help ourselves feel better it all adds up and so I'm excited for you guys to learn from her I had a lot of practical takeaways especially our conversation surrounding dopamine, which is the reward chemical. It's where motivation comes from. And I really think you guys will get some practical things to take away from the conversation to apply to your life to hopefully help you guys feel better. Before we dive in, though, I wanted to quickly share one of my favorite. It's so funny, too, because I was planning to have this be this week's magic because I just got a restock two weeks ago and I've been loving it. But it actually is so perfectly aligned with today's podcast episode. And that is First Person. They are a functional mushroom supplement brand, and they have three different supplements, and one of them is for sleep, one of them is for boosting your brain's production of oxytocin, and the other is boosting your brain's production of dopamine. So I actually just took one of their Sunbeam supplements, which is the one that helps your brain produce more dopamine, and I am feeling I'm feeling good. I'm feeling focused. I'm feeling motivated. My energy's up. I'm getting stuff done. I love taking it for that. It's honestly better than drinking coffee because you don't get the anxiety or the jitters or the like feeling wired. It's just motivation, energy, drive. I am obsessed. It's such a great, especially if you have ADHD, a great supplement to take because I personally have ADHD and I, I've i tried Ritalin in the past and I just also, again, didn't love the side effects. And I, I do drink coffee from time to time. If I need something to really focus for a long period of time, I am not like an all or nothing person. I am very open to everything in its proper time and place if they don't have damaging enough side effects for me. Um, but f- personally, having something that I can go to on a more regular basis that helps me have that focus that I love having when I'm trying to crank out work without having any negative side effects. In fact, there are positive long-term benefits from functional mushrooms. It's proven. Uh, I just... I am in love. It's a favorite. It's a go-to. I also love their other two supplements, the oxytocin one. Golden Hour just helps you feel good, feel more high vibe, more lovey. I love taking it. If I'm wanting to just feel good, raise my vibe a little bit, but I don't want to have wine or anything, it's so nice for just a little mood boost. And then the sleep one is amazing. I get such good, deep, restorative sleep. I don't feel as groggy as I do the next morning when I've taken melatonin if I want to get deep sleep. So it for me I like how I feel better I also feel more clear-headed and just focused I'm able to think deeply like I feel really refreshed in a lot of ways the next day when I take their sleep one so I highly recommend it's such a great supplement brand that not only has the short-term benefits of boosting the right brain chemicals for the desired effect you want but they also have long-term cognitive benefits because functional mushrooms have been shown to just be so great for our brain and overall health so I will link those in the show notes I believe I have a coupon code for them as well So I will put that in the show notes as well. And yeah, if you guys give them a try, let me know how they work for you. Um, They're also really pretty, by the way. And they come with these cute little containers that are refillable so that it's more environmentally friendly. They'll send the uh, your restocks in like little bags, Um, but they have these cute little metal tins. They send you the first time and the pills are just so cute. There's like these little tiny beads, I guess you could call them. Um, But it's like, you know, the sleep one is like deep violet with like lavender with lime green with like a pastel blue so they're just they're pretty to look at (laughs) um and raise my vibe a little bit whenever I take them because I'm like oh these are so cute but anyway I hope you guys love if you try so excited to have you on the podcast today Dr. Loretta Brunning great to be here 
I was so excited when your team reached out about doing a podcast together because what you do, your work is literally so directly supportive of what I'm doing. And a lot of my content online focuses on mindset, manifestation, personal power, mental health, but the mental health and the personal power and the mindset, a lot of that is to support manifestation because manifestation, the more I have dove into this practice and taught on it, the more I'm like, if you want to just boil it down to one thing, it's about feeling good, both in terms of what you want and how you get it. And a lot of people come to me thinking that they want a man or they want money or they want a job or success. And it's like, you know, we do want those things, but why do you want those things? Well, it's because it makes you feel good. You mean, you might say, oh, stability, freedom, whatever. But like, even that, the root of all of it is we really want to feel good. That is the magical human experience, right? An experience that feels good more so than not. And the way to get those things is, you know, if you want to summarize that is really embodiment, which means you're feeling the feelings already. So, and your work, which is so connected to the brain and how to create these feel-good chemicals is like such a great way to practically support feeling good, therefore manifesting, you know, the life and the things that you want. So I'm excited for you to break down from a scientific and a psychological perspective, kind of how some of this stuff works so we can maybe leave with some, some takeaways of things that we can just do more or less of to feel better more of the time. Great. So um, what I study is the animal brain, because the part of our brain we inherited from animals is what controls the chemicals that make us feel good and bad. And those chemicals are controlled in ways that don't make sense to our conscious brain, because the animal brain can't talk. So your brain can't tell you in words, I feel good for this reason, or I feel good for that reason. Mm -hmm. And if you knew what made an animal feel good or bad, then you would probably say, Oh, no, that's not me. I don't I'm not thinking that, you know, because we always want to think that we have some loftier um, uh, uh, ideas, rather than what the animal brain really cares about is meeting its own needs. So whenever you have an opportunity to meet your needs, a good feeling chemical turns on. Mm -hmm. And we want to repeat behaviors that have um, met our needs in the past because we expect them to turn on good feelings. So nobody is thinking this consciously, but this is what's going on all the time. Now, I have to say that I don't represent academic psychology. It was not my primary field. I was a professor of management for 25 years, and then I took early retirement to study this, and I came to my own conclusions because I was sort of disappointed with the reality presented by academic psychology, which sort of suggests that Happiness is the effortless default state that should come to you automatically and you should just be happy all the time. And if you're not, it's a disorder. Mm, so, totally um, yeah, yeah. So when you understand how it works in animals, then everything makes sense. So a simplest way to think about it is if you were a monkey waking up in the morning, you would be hungry and you would want to relieve that hunger. And if you've ever been like on a camping trip and you're hungry, like, you know, like nothing is more important. So that's the primal urge that we all have. And when a monkey looks around and it sees something that was good to eat in its past, then it gets happy because it says, oh, that's going to relieve the bad feeling of hunger. 
So we're always looking for things that relieve bad feelings. And how do we define that is whatever turned on a good feeling in our past, whatever relieved the bad feeling in our past. But nobody is consciously thinking that because the animal brain doesn't talk in words. So we may be like sort of defensive about the fact that we're running on past experience, but that's simply how the brain works. Right, so right. then the next thing is, so when the monkey sees the fruit, it gets excited and it walks toward it. So that's the good feeling we're always looking for is that excitement. And that motivates us to move forward toward things that meet our needs. But the realistic thing is that the monkey only gets that feeling of excitement those few seconds while it's looking for fruit and walking toward it. And then it stops. So it's not realistic to expect that feeling of excitement every minute, every day. So that's a short introduction. Into all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's, and I think that's something that I have learned and has helped me understand so much is like we are operating so much from our subconscious, which is really just a collection of the past. And so if what you're creating in your life isn't something that you like right now, or isn't making you feel good right now, understanding what, you know, neurons are firing together to create that, like, how do you, and knowing how to change that to create what you want, like, is so incredibly powerful. And it's, yes, yes, exactly. And and to accept yourself that you have this impulse to meet your needs in this old way that you may not like today, but it's a circuit in your brain for a real reason because of things that literally happened to you in the past. And you don't need to get all judgy wudgy about it, but just say, my brain is flowing into that channel until I carve a new channel. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, totally. This is something I... I focus on so much within my teachings, especially is to not judge or shame ourselves ever because it's all hap- Like all of our wirings are because of what we experienced in the past. Like we make so much sense and like just making peace with that and peace with yourself with that is the foundation that helps you then start to be like, okay, well, I don't want to keep feeling this way, or I don't want to keep repeating this coping mechanism that doesn't serve me anymore. Okay. So now how do I shift that? But when you're in shame and judgment, like it's so easy to get stuck there. And it's like, well, no, like you, you're doing this because of a reason. And and like you're saying, it's oftentimes so subconscious. We, you know, don't even know we learned it probably when we were five, when our brain was actually developing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Now to get out of that, Mm -hmm. many people go to the other extreme. So it would be like if you were hungry on a camping trip and you were so starving that you would just dream like, when I get out of this place, I'm going to eat a whole gallon of ice cream. So that wouldn't do you any good either. (laughs) No, right after that either. Right. So yeah, it's really consciously understanding, which maybe you can help break this down so we all understand it. It's like what actually will help us to feel good? How does the brain work? And so for my basic understanding Basically, our brain is constantly creating chemicals for the cells to talk to each other, but some of those chemicals are what actually create emotions. And so understanding how to trigger the neurotransmitters that create feel-good chemicals is how you can then, you can actually like restructure your brain from my understanding, right? Like if you continue to do, create a life that is constantly 
triggering good feel good chemicals like you're going to create more of that and like your brain will adapt to be like even just thoughts right like we can retrain our brain to think more positively than negatively the negative thoughts are from the past but if you keep choosing positive thoughts you're creating new neural pathways and the more you have your brain run down those the more you're going to keep thinking the positive thoughts and then you're going to just feel better and then it's just like a you know a, a positive feedback loop right Yes, but I have to say, so when we use the expression positive thoughts, mm -hmm. it had that you have to actually believe the thought for the chemical to be triggered. So let's say this monkey is hungry and is looking for fruit. And if it just says, oh, I'm going to just have the courage to move forward and I'll aimlessly wander the forest and find fruit. No, a monkey would die if it did that. So the monkey brain is very practical. Mm -hmm. So it looks for evidence of fruit. And only when it sees evidence do the happy chemicals turn on. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have to give ourselves um, positive but realistic expectations, because mm -hmm. that's what triggers the dopamine that motivates your action. So the idea of good feelings, if we think of them as um, motivations, so feelings that are positive that motivate you to move forward towards something and negative feelings are information that motivate you to move back to avoid potential threat. So they're all information that's man managed to, to design to navigate the body. And that's what the animal inside us is constantly doing. So rather than dreaming of a whole gallon of ice cream, it would be more realistic, like if I think, okay, what do I actually need? Okay, how did I get it in the past? Um, maybe that didn't work. How can I correct it? And then what's the first step I need to take? And then I test that, and then I take one more step. So that's how your animal brain is sparking the dopamine in little steps. So you have to expect a reward, take a small step, and then perceive that the step is actually bringing you closer to the reward. I guess I have two, two thoughts slash questions on that. So first I totally agree with the, um, I actually just spoke about this on my Instagram yesterday about not gaslighting yourself, like with affirmations, um, but creating ones that you can actually get behind. Like, you know, it's really hard to, to just be like, I am, wealthy, you know, when your bank account is zero, but you know, an affirmation that maybe would be more supportive is I am moving towards creating abundance in my life. I see how I do have abundance currently in maybe this area of my life, focusing on the ways you can see it, like things that are actually true and then continuing to create better from there. Um, but my other, my other, I guess, thing I wanted to get your thoughts on is I also have used visualization to create the feelings within myself, which then I have found has drawn things into my reality. So like visualizing how I want to feel in a really supportive partnership, um, visualizing the success that I want to achieve, like things like that. So I've also utilized that as a tool. And I, I create the feelings like to the point where sometimes I'll find myself like bawling tears of joy in the middle of like my visualization meditations. And it's so interesting because I, as I've done this work, I've seen my state of being and I've done trauma healing I've done a lot of work on myself but changing my brain to be the status quo is a lot of the times joy and peace now from that so I don't know I'm just curious what your thoughts are on kind of using visualization in that in that way 
and like create right. like well, I'll, yourself into having the, the feel good feelings. If you're doing it in a way that works for you, then it's great. So the the question is just if someone else feels that they've tried it and it's not working for them, then to um, consider that the reason is because you don't actually believe in it and your um, your brain is not designed to get you excited about a reward that's not available. So like a monkey doesn't say, wouldn't it be nice if cherries were in season? You mm -hmm. know, <laughs> because monkey would starve to death if, if it looked for cherries, but they weren't in season. So mm -hmm. the monkey is focused on the reality of what's there. So you have to perceive it as a reality. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I think what's important is small steps. So you have to outline for yourself some steps that Getting you believe that are possible. And right. you think the steps will be there and also that you are capable of those steps and then take the first step and then you start feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, I guess, maybe the not gaslighting yourself, doing it in a way you're, we're incrementally upgrading because that is the difference between us and animals, right? Like we can create better. We can dream bigger. Like we aren't just a mammal brain. Like we have more than that. Um, so, but yeah, I completely agree. And I think that that's something that's missing a lot of the time from some of the teachings on manifestation that get a little too woo woo. Cause you're, you're like, you're tricking yourself, you're gaslighting yourself. And then that builds distrust with yourself, which is not helpful in any way it's disempowering. So I love that. Yeah. Perspective on that. How, okay. So how does it work practically with, or maybe a better, yeah. So, okay. So we're triggering different things are triggering these feel good chemicals to be released. Do you want to maybe go into all of the chemicals and kind of what they are, what they do, and then ways that we can trigger them? Sure. So the first one I talked about already, dopamine, it's the expectation of a reward. And what triggers it is whatever was a reward for you in your unique individual past. So we're all born hungry, and then food relieves that, that hunger. And so you perceive it as a reward because the need is met. So then as we complicate life in layers, the bottom line is still, there was a need, the need got met, and my brain said, yay, look for more of this. Mm -hmm. So everyone, when you feel yourself excited, you could look for the pattern that says, at some time in my past, I got excited about this because it meant a need, and that's why I'm so focused on it. So it's useful to see that because it's very individual. Yeah. Uh, and this is like, it speaks so much to, you know, even what you were just saying too, but just knowing yourself, it, all of this is so personal. And so like building a relationship with yourself is so, so powerful because then you know how to work with yourself and motivate yourself. And, um, I'm yeah. curious, what do you think about, um, uh, I don't know if you follow doc, amen online. Um, he's a brain doctor, but he talks, uh, he's, he's done some content on, um, dumping dopamine versus dripping dopamine, uh, and like things like alcohol, dump it, um, things like a walk in the sun, drip it. Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, things that maybe give us, is it fake dopamine or it's not fake dopamine, but it's like a, a it's a fake reward that we're getting because we didn't earn it. You could, well, you could say it's, um, you know, huge swings up and down. Okay. So, um, uh, I like what what you said better than the the alternative, which is suddenly dopamine is like this bad thing, 
Right. And then everybody blames all their problems on dopamine and they have to have a dopamine diet. So the idea that you drip a little bit and then the drip stops and then you're left without it. And that's a natural part of life and not to see that as a disorder. And that's why people often feel like they're on a treadmill because anytime your brain meets a need, then the good feeling stops and then you got to meet another need. And that's how we're designed to work. Yes. No, I really love that. Cause I think you're right. People get afraid of, and this talks to emotional healing, emotional availability, emotional resilience. What I was, I was chatting about on my podcast, um, a couple of weeks ago, but you know, people get afraid of negative emotions or negative feelings. And like it, then, then you're like, you're like fighting the emotion with the emotion and it creates all this. Yeah. And it's like, instead of acceptance and accepting that life is highs and lows, we can't constantly feel good. Um, and that's okay. And we don't yes, need to exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Learn or what maybe people would like to constantly feel good, but let's say you can't constantly feel excited mm-hmm. because that would be a waste of your brain's energy. And yeah. I look at it this way. When you watch a nature video and a lion sees a whole group of gazelles, mm-hmm. if the lion ran after everything, it would get nothing and it would starve to death. So our brain is designed to make very careful decisions because when you decide to go for something, it takes 100% of your energy. So that's like you're kind of surveying the world and saying, hmm, is this worth my energy? And that's the natural normal thing. So if you got excited about everything, then you wouldn't be making that good decision. Right. So, so do you think that maybe we're too addicted to rushes of dopamine in our society? And that's why we're not handling the, the, like the absence of it. Well, um, I don't use, um, the expression our society because mm-hmm. everyone ha- makes individual decisions about right. what they think. But, but in general, we um, have a lot of alcohol and a lot of TV and a lot of like dating apps. There's it's a there's a lot of quick hit oh, okay. that we get. I feel like just the oh, way I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um. Uh. I don't necessarily agree that that's the reason for. Um. I want to go back to you. You asked it different the first time. I agreed with you. I'm trying <laughs> to remember what you said the first time. Um. Like, although I wouldn't have said it was our society's fault, but I did agree with what you were saying. Like, do you remember? Yes, yes. Maybe a better way for me to have framed that would be, do you think that the typical... Oh, the big dump, the big dump of dopamine. Yeah, that leads to a dopamine surge. Yeah. Okay. So this sort of chasing of dopamine, the chasing of excitement. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, it's like natural, like humans have always done that because like if you could climb a tree and get one banana, or if you could climb a tree and get a hundred bananas, sure. you'd get a lot more excited by climbing the tree for the hundred bananas. So our brain is designed to help lead us toward the big rewards of the jackpot. Mm-hmm. Now in the state of nature, if you think about your hunter gatherer ancestors, there were not that many jackpots. So if they said, oh, I'm not going to bother climbing a tree for just one banana, then they'd probably go hungry after a while. And then they would have to have more realistic expectations and climb the tree for just one banana. But in the modern world, uh, people tend to grow up with very easy lives. So small rewards don't excite them. 
The small rewards come easily to them. So it takes big rewards to get a person excited. Mm-hmm. So, um, and when you mentioned alcohol, <clears throat> that's not necessarily a big reward. So let's look at it more specifically. So most of the dopamine is in the moment when you decide like, oh, I'm going to go, ha- I'm going to open a bottle of wine. Sure. I'm going to go to the candy machine and buy a candy bar. Yeah. I'm going to call the pizza delivery guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you think, what was I thinking in the moment that I made that decision? That's the most helpful thing you can do because all today's discussion is all focused on blaming the alcohol company and blaming the pizza company and not taking responsibility for managing your brain. So if you knew that I get a good feeling when I think about this reward, because I shift from a negative thought to a positive thought. So every time I have a negative thought, I want to shift myself out of it. And this is a fast, easy way I learned to shift myself out of it. And to just tell yourself, there are hundreds of other ways to shift yourself out of a negative thought, but you're just using the one that worked in your past because that's what everybody does, but you can do it in a new way. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so great to know the other tools that help our brain produce dopamine that maybe have more longer lasting, better effects or don't have, you know, negative effects and just are overall adding value to our life. Mm. So, and also I forgot to say about, um, if it's like the big burst of dopamine, like um, if you have a choice between getting your work done versus filling out, let's say job applications for giant jobs, that would be a huge promotion, Mm. you know? So you may get a big dump of dopamine when you fill out the giant job application because you're imagining, but then in the long run, you may be unemployed if you don't get your actual work done in your job. So that's why I'm always focused on realistic expectations rather than just getting excited about huge rewards. So whether it's alcohol or food or just grandiose dreams, it's the same kind of, um, uh, excuse me, the expectation of big dopamine that... You know, a lot of young people are exposed to that thought loop because like your friends invite you out and they say, let's party. And then everybody goes woohoo. And this creates this feeling that this ecstasy is what you need. But really what you need is to feel power over that bad thought that you were having before you went to the party. Because otherwise you're just a a prisoner of partying if you don't understand that you had to go to that party because you didn't know any other way to shift out of the negative thought loop. hundred percent. Yep. Yep. And this is understanding how to work with your brain Um, and just, yeah, rewiring, rewiring and something that I've actually found it really valuable to prioritize things that drip dopamine in my life. Uh, They're more rewarding in the long term for me and tend to create stability and more like baseline momentum in me and my life than only having the big ones. Like sure they're great, but I think I I personally have found 
it's supported me and my mental health to keep the big ones as special um, or less frequent than the little ones. Um, Cause it just creates a better overall balance. Cause otherwise then you're only living, like you're saying for the big moments, you're not enjoying the rest of it. And well, that's yeah. a scarcity mindset. That's a lack mindset. Like I want to enjoy all of my life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's very individual. Again, what are the little drips? It's like, it depends on my past wiring and your past wiring. So we can't just give people a list, but people can learn to become aware. Yeah. Yeah. What makes them feel good. Um, what about serotonin and oxytocin and <laughs> sure. So, um, Oxytocin is what has been called in the media the love hormone, and you also the cuddle can, chemical. So you could see why it would get all this attention, and yet why it would be um, important to know if that's not true. So I'll give you a simple example. People are often told to get it by hugging, but you have probably known the experience of being um, expected to hug someone you don't like. And you know that it doesn't feel good. Sure. So this is not what our inner mammal is looking for to just hug anybody, but it's actually looking for a real sense of protection. And in the animal world, an animal gets protection by being with a group. And we're often, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we're often um, talked about um, altruism. Uh, which is not, I think, a realistic understanding of the animal brain. So when animals get together in a herd, they're not doing it to be realistic. Uh, I, I'm sorry, they're not doing it to be altruistic. Mm -hmm. So if I'm chased by a lion and I run toward my herd, I'm not doing it to help them, I'm doing it to help myself. Yeah. And I'm actually bringing the threat closer to them. And if the lion eats someone else, then I was like, Phew, good thing it wasn't me. So that's how the animal brain works. Yeah. Um, and yet there are so many people trying to indoctrinate you into this, uh, again, unrealistic expectation. Now it's important to know that animals find their groups very frustrating because like if we're a bunch of gazelles and I'm close to the herd, all the grass under my feet has already peed on and stomped on by other gazelles. So I don't really enjoy eating it. So I would rather walk off into the distance to greener pastures. But if I get too far from the group, a lion might eat me in a second and I'm gone. So my brain has evolved to get a little farther from the group to feel like I have better access to rewards. And yet, then not too far, then go back to the group so that I feel safe. So oxytocin is released when I look around and I say, whoa, I'm, I'm alone here. The group has moved on <clears throat> and here I am all alone. I better, excuse me, I better move back toward the group. Mm -hmm. And then once you get back toward the group, you're like, ah, I'm safe. So mm -hmm. that's the feeling that we're always looking for. And a simple example to think about it is, if I'm eating grass all alone on a hillside, I'm looking around for predators and I'm so busy looking for threat that I can't even eat. But when I go back to my group and they're all around me, then I go, ah, now I can eat. So it's that selfish impulse to have protection from others. And it's the good feeling of lowering your guard. So you could see that that's what we all want. 
but it's not like the official message that you get preached to by a lot of preachy academics. No, I love this. This is so fascinating because I've done so much work on creating safety within myself through um, EFT tapping, trauma healing, things like that. And also just personal power work um, that I need that. I don't know if my brain's producing it more naturally, and this is us evolving as a species, but I feel like it took me so long to uh, specifically where I would get the most triggered was, and those feelings of fear was um, not being accepted by like people or like online, um, as well as like, I've been exploring getting back into the dating world. And I am like, compared to me a couple of years ago, I used to get so triggered and so afraid if I posted something, oh my God, like what if they read it the wrong way, this or that? Um, or like, oh, like what if he doesn't like me? Like I needed to be like liked and wanted. And as I've done this healing work, I'm kind of like, eh, I'm, I'm like, I get triggered, you know, obviously I'm a human here and there, but like, as I've done the work, I'm kind of like, it's the triggers are like almost non-existent where I'm like, okay, he doesn't like me. That's okay. <laughs> There's a million other fish in the sea. I'm good with me. I've created maybe because I've also created stability and connection within my friendships in my life. Like I feel, I just feel stable and good. Like, so I, I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are with, with that evolution. That's fabulous. And um, let's see how other people could do this too. Mm-hmm. So um, when you have this sense of urgency of like, what if someone rejects me? Mm-hmm. Um, that sense of urgency is because in the animal world, if you're not part of the herd, then it's a real survival threat. So our brain releases survival threat chemicals. But then you could say, why would I get such a big gush of bad cortisol feelings for such a little situation? Because we can really admit if we think about it, but it was really a very little situation. Like I just imagined, well, what if they said this? And then I said that, and then what about, you know? Yeah. So if well, it's like they everyone tell you, looks, they tell you, don't worry about something that won't matter in five years, but it's like, you can't help it in the moment. Like you're, you're triggered. <laughs> There's a reason. Well, So the reason you're triggered is yeah. because of neural pathways from your own past rejections. Mm-hmm. So everyone can think about some early rejection feelings in their past and they can see the pattern and to say, Oh, I'm recreating that. I'm projecting that it's really, you know, a channel in my brain and I'm letting in the world and I'm flowing it through that channel. Mm -hmm. Having said that, you know, we, we have to admit that we live in a world where people are nasty and people have always been nasty. And when you watch nature videos, you see that animals are quite nasty to each other. So um, this is part of life. And frankly, everyone listening may be aware that they have been nasty to other people at times. And you build your own fear pathways when you're nasty to others because it reinforces the feeling that it could happen to you. So true. So so instead of just going into that victim mindset, you know, look at look at 360 degrees and it just helps relief release the whole fear belief. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it was rewiring. It's like, you know, every single, a lot of work, you know, telling myself I was safe, even when I didn't feel it. Um, but I, my wise mind could know like, Oh, you are, you're definitely safe. You're just activated. And like, you're saying it's from past experiences that were very scarring to me. Um, but it, yeah, I guess so it's, it's like rewiring 
the mammal brain to a more evolved brain. And I did that a lot through just, I mean, repetition of affirmations, but, you know, going back to and revisiting what happened to me and then doing things like EFT tapping, where it's like neutralizing the charge in my body. And I'm able to, you know, use cognitive restructuring to, you know, tell myself, like, even though this happened, I am safe now and I am okay. And I can handle this. And like over time it, it, yeah, neutralizes, I guess that wiring or, or it, it rewires that wiring to one of fear to one of safety. Great. So let's talk about serotonin. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is a very different way from what you usually hear where serotonin is linked to antidepressants. But if you watch nature videos, you may have noticed that animals are very competitive in their groups with other animals. If you have a group of monkeys, they all want to be the top monkey. Mm -hmm. So we're led to sort of think, oh, that's not me. That's a certain type. Mm -hmm. But if you watch the dog whisperer, he explains to you, they're all the type. They all want to be the top dog. But they defer when they see that they're going to lose because they'd rather stay alive and not get bitten. <clears throat> so animals are constantly comparing themselves to others. When they see they're stronger than the other guy, they're like, yay, I, I got, I'm the man. I got this position of strength and I'm going to get the reward. <clears throat> and I'm the woman because women are, this is just the normal brain. So if you see that you're in the position of, oh, oh, so, and that stimulates serotonin. Serotonin is the position that you have confidence because you feel that you are stronger than the monkey next to you. So they can't steal your banana. Let's hmm. say that way. Because yeah. if you watch nature videos, you see that like the little monkey, they steal a banana right out of its hand. And sometimes, right, they reach their hand into its mouth oh. and steal a banana out of its mouth. What's yeah. <clears throat> oh my God. Yes, if I, <clears throat> exactly. And so that's why monkeys are always deferring to a stronger monkey. Wow. So your brain is designed to constantly compare you to others. And when you see you're stronger, you get a little bit of serotonin. When you see you're not stronger, you get a little bit of cortisol, the threat chemical that tells you to pull back that says it's not worth getting your arm bit off just for this one banana. And that's what keeps monkeys from conflict. Now, <clears throat> how, do you, how does your brain decide if you're stronger or weaker? Every brain does it with neural circuits built from its own past experience. So everybody, no matter who you are, you could go through the world every minute saying, poor me, everybody has better than me. My life is so shitty. And even if you were <clears throat> the 11th richest billionaire in the world, you would say, poor me, I didn't make the top 10 billionaires list. And, <clears throat> and you would maybe spend your whole day trying to please other people so that you could you have like a sense of urgency that you had to get more so that you could <clears throat> move ahead more. And that's what the animal brain creates. So every one of us is challenged to manage this brain. And when you feel like, oh, I'm strong enough, I have enough bananas, I don't have to worry, then get a little bit of serotonin, just a little, but then you can feel that good feeling again. But many people don't, <clears throat> partly because of their own past experience, 
but partly because they're told that it's egotistical and not nice to think that you're better than others. So they think that they have to feel like a, <clears throat> a terrible victim in order to have solidarity and be one of the group. Mm. So that's the conflict between serotonin and oxytocin. Interesting. <clears throat> what about, okay, so I guess I've also heard that things like running and uh, like working out, things like that boost your serotonin? So that's endorphin. Okay. That's endorphin. So endorphin is chemically the same as morphine, heroin, opioid. It's the body's natural opioid. Like the only reason drugs affect us is because we have a natural version. So we have a receptor for it. So when you distress your body, you get a little bit of it. And when an animal is attacked by a lion, um, endorphin is released and it masks pain. And that makes it possible for the animal to run and save its life, even though it's in pain. So you have felt endorphin. If you ever slip and fall on the ground and people say, are you okay? And you say, yeah, I'm fine. But then 15 minutes later, you realize that you're badly injured. That's because endorphin masks pain for 15 minutes, but we are not designed to inflict pain on ourselves to stimulate endorphin. We're designed to seek serotonin, oxytocin, and dopamine, but just accept whatever endorphin we have naturally. But people want to stimulate it, so that's why they go running to the point of pain. Oh, I, I, don't, I didn't mean that. I just, I've read places that like working out, things like that boosts your serotonin, which is like the, the more like the mm. contentment. So, but maybe it's because you're just feeling better about yourself in general based off of what you were explaining um serotonin to be earlier you're like i feel stronger i feel good about myself because i i did that i absolutely agree with you but okay. academics do not accept this animal theory of serotonin even though on my website i showed that the research was reported in the new york times in the 80s but then it was covered up and disappeared and no longer exists so i was quite surprised after studying psychology my whole life when I discovered this, but I said, wow, this, uh, this explains everything. This is so true. And it was such a relief to me to say, oh, I'm not really in the one down position and with everybody looking down at me, but that's just a neural pathway built from my own past experience. Mm -hmm. So it, yes, running uh, exercise can stimulate your serotonin when you're proud of your body. It can stimulate oxytocin when you have social bonding around exercise and it stimulates dopamine when you have specific goals, but it, and you actually move toward the goals, but it only stimulates endorphin when you exercise to the point of pain. And that has sort of become a, a sort of a cult, but in the academic world, they don't have a proper explanation of serotonin. So they, they use it in this, um, they don't have a proper explanation of any of these chemicals because they don't look for the animal um, motivation, the animal purpose that it serves. Mm -hmm. They want to pretend that good feelings go along with virtue and being a virtuous person and not caring about yourself, but um, doing good deeds for others 
is what stimulates your happy chemicals. So they don't want to acknowledge because animal brain is inherently self-interested and they don't want to acknowledge that. So they ignore the whole biology. That's what my new book is about. Well, it sounds like what they're saying is true in that one sense that like, you know, doing something good for other people stimulates serotonin, but it's because you feel better than other people from an animalistic mammal perspective is what you're saying. (laughs) Yes. Moral superiority would be the serotonin aspect of doing good deeds and Mm -hmm. oxytocin. Well, I can do good deeds and create some social belonging, like either because I, um, if I um, go work at a soup kitchen, then I have a sense of bonding with people. Or if I go to a charity gala, but I feel socially acceptable because of my charity work. So it's all about what you're telling yourself. So I'm not saying that it's we shouldn't do good things for others, but we really need to understand the truth about why it works, because otherwise it often leads to bitterness. Like you think, well, I'm so good, but other people aren't good to me. So the world stinks. And Mm -hmm. how many people end up with that view by the time there's named? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And I think that something I had to learn, which probably has helped me no longer feel that way. Cause I used to feel that way all the time because I was doing good because I was like supposed to, um, I'm doing, I do good and I give, and I do it though, when it's something I want to do. And I, I, you know, maybe it does drip dopamine as well. Cause it's rewarding to me to love other people, but I'm, it's, I'm very, and you know, it's interesting. The more I'm thinking about what you're saying, like how people, uh, a lot of people in my life thought that I was being selfish for healing and setting boundaries and, and, uh, but it actually, I think supported me doing more good long-term because then I started doing good when I wanted to. And so then I didn't ever get resentment because it's like, I did it because I wanted to, and I did it with healthy people that I chose, not because I had to do it. And it it is better, I think, to be coming from a place of putting yourself first. I think it actually enables us to do more good to other people because we're coming from the right place. Um, and we're, we are mostly creating feel good chemicals then instead of ones that are, you know, discouraging. And then you're just at war with yourself, trying to make yourself do stuff that doesn't feel good. That's a beautiful summary. I I agree with all of that. And, um, the person or persons who try to guilt you and pressure you to be in their unhappy club (laughs) rather than do what makes you unhappy is just an inevitable part of life, unfortunately, a very big part of life. Mm. And um, you may not make any progress with them with a conscious verbal argument because it's their animal brain that feels like, well, if I'm miserable, but if you come along with my misery, then I'll be happier. So that's not in your best interest, but they may decide that it's in their best interest, you know. So you you um so you really have to decide for yourself. But then in the end, yes, that if you're healthy and not bitter, then you're contributing more to the world in the long run. But in the short run, that person who wants to join you in their little hell, they are fully convinced that they would be happy if only you joined them in their little hell. Mm-hmm. No, it's so true. No, this was so great, especially just understanding like, you know, we are, we are part animal. Like we are, we have primal instincts. Our brain has a lot of 
you know, similarities to that of a mammal. And I think it allows, it's, it's allows you to just come with so much compassion and non-judgment towards yourself. Cause it's like, a lot of this is just the way we're wired. We're not bad for being selfish. It's just, it's an animal instinct to look out for yourself first, but also how do we evolve to create better in ourselves and our lives to be more happy? So uh, maybe, maybe a good way to wrap up would be what are things that you recommend doing to increase these happiness chemicals to create more happiness in our lives? Sure. Um, so uh, if I could do a quick one for each chemical. So yeah. dopamine is uh, about having goals and about the feeling that you're closer to a goal. So I suggest having a short-term goal, a long-term goal, and a middle-term goal, because that's how you make sure that you get a little bit of dopamine all the time, because when you can't move forward on one, that you can um, move forward on another. And again, the importance is that your goals are realistic. I love that. Yeah, because then that's going to be really motivational. Yeah. Yeah. And it's literally motivational. Dopamine is literally the feeling of excitement that puts you in gear, that makes you do something. So if you have ever said, oh, I can't get myself in gear, you're literally not having dopamine. And a reason for that is negative expectations because it takes positive expectations. The monkey only goes toward the banana when it believes it can get the banana. So if you think, something is hopeless, or if like, if you're doing it because someone else told you to, but you don't believe it, you're just not going to release the dopamine and then you're not going to feel motivated. And this is why I do with my coaching, a lot of brain rewiring, removing limiting beliefs, because sometimes that the belief we don't like they're blocking us. And so it's like, if we can also work on shifting our belief at the same time, that can help us achieve the greater things that we want, like, which is how I've scaled a lot in my life is I've had to be like, I know I don't believe in myself. I don't believe this is possible for me, but how can I start to shift this? Cause I really want it. And like, yeah, I guess we were saying earlier, those incremental upgrades, but I, I also love that you recommended, um, the different long-term and short-term goals. I actually recommend that for clients. And I didn't even realize, I didn't know why. I just knew it helped me to have the short-term and the long-term. I need to have more um, mid-range, I think. Um, I tend to, to focus more on short and long. So I'm going to implement that um, from this call, but it's it makes sense. I just knew it, it, it motivated me more, but um, yeah. And it, and it also now that I'm thinking everything that you said makes sense why, purpose is so such a big thing for people like once they find their purpose they suddenly like their lives transform it's because they have motivation now that's so interesting yeah yeah so if you're feeling the dopamine or not feeling the dopamine you're the one that's in charge you can't blame the world but if your old circuits are not leading you to the dopamine you could explore them um and it's if you sort of think of it as excitement like I get excited about X, but I don't get excited about Y. So what caused that? What early experiences caused that? And then what would I like instead? Oh, so, um, uh, Go ahead. oh, one last thing. This really supports something that I've been saying for a while and that our desires are like our North compass. Like it, we're actually meant to follow the things that light us up. Cause that's our body. It's, we're going to have dopamine. Our body is literally like supporting that thing, you know, if it excites yes. us. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So um, to get oxytocin. Mm -hmm. So your inner mammal wants to know that it has protection. And like I said, it's, it's fundamentally selfish because I want you to protect me. Like if a lion comes, you should protect me. But why should you protect me? Well, if I offer to protect you, then you may protect me. So it's inherently reciprocal in the ma in the mammal world. So um, I can offer protection to other people and that builds my expectation of getting protection from others. But I have to do it realistically. And that means a couple of things. First, a lot of people, when they think, oh, I'm just protecting you, they're really telling other people how to run their lives. Mm -hmm. So yeah. other people don't want that. And then it's not going to motivate them to protect you. Um, another thing is you may have a lot of people in your life, but you may not trust them to protect you uh, because like, maybe they're not really competent people. And you think, well, if, if a predator did come after me, they would be clueless, you know? Yeah. So so it's all about your thoughts, like partly like, well, are there really that many predators or am I exaggerating the threat? So if I decide that I'm less threatened and that I'm more trusting of the people who want to support me, then I have a better chance of um, feeling my oxytocin. But um, another alternative that I think is interesting is um, it's called weak ties, like in the media, you get this impression that there's like two buddies and they support each other every minute. And it's not really very realistic because if we want to live our best life, we're, you know, taking on new steps every minute. And what's the chance that somebody else is going to want to just take your step? So it's, uh, if I ever actually needed protection, I have like a weak tie with this one and a weak tie with that one. And I don't really want other people like being my entourage every minute. Um, it's just to know that if I did need them, if I did need someone, I would find someone, but I don't really need someone every minute. And that's because our quote needs are defined when we're children. That's when our brain is wired and you're very needy when you're a child because you can't meet your own needs. So we're all challenged to update this sense of our own neediness because otherwise we'll constantly be feeling unsafe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so community, having safe community is probably a great way to, to boost oxytocin, but having the relationships be appropriate in terms of intensity. Yeah. And that you're offering something to others but so what I say is, uh, you know, offer something to someone once every day, different people so that you're not over investing in every one per, per person and a very small offer. Don't go out and try to rescue people or buy people, but offer something that's natural to you and just make one offer every day. Add value. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And then serotonin. So serotonin, so this is complicated. So the idea is that you want your, you accept that your brain is going to constantly make social comparisons mm -hmm. and it's going to keep either putting you in the one up position or in the one down position. And you don't like to admit that it does this, even though you think other people do this. And so 
If you feel put down, you have to know that you're doing that yourself. And the solution is to put yourself up. So how can you put yourself up? So you don't want to do it by putting other people down, but no. that's like the easy tempting way that comes to people's minds. So how can you put yourself up without putting others down? So that's why we, why I just say, set an alarm and spend 60 minutes, 60 seconds a day, just giving yourself like positive recognition for things you've done so that you're putting yourself up without putting others down. That's so cool. This is, this is so great understanding the why behind a lot of these things. Cause uh, my, my podcast last week was on things that helped me get through my breakup this winter. And then also have been helping me in the dating world. And I feel like one of the biggest things uh, is I really have been spending time, like feeling good about myself, building myself up, like affirming that I am beautiful and smart and this and that and the other, like, and that I feel like and all of these things kind of really put us in our power. Uh, I think personal power is so huge when it comes to like just feeling good and satisfied in life. But yeah, I've, that works so well. Cause you're right. Cause then the, if you're d- using other people and putting them down, that's going to create distrust with other people, which is not going to feel good. And that creates cortisol stress. Yes. And you're like, yes. well, putting me down. Yeah. So this is such a way, a positive way. Affirmations. I was just talking about affirmations. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the complication of course, is if you're going on a date and you have real excitement because you have high hopes for this person. So you're probably putting them on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. So you're so excited. You think, oh, if they like me back, I'll just be so happy forever. Mm -hmm. And then so the more uncertainty there is, the more happy you are just getting their attention. But Mm -hmm. once you have them, then you see the reality Mm -hmm. and then you see that they're not this perfect person. So this is why dating has all of these bumps. And, um, and again, um, the brain evolved for reproduction. So it's, you know, widely believed that this, this illusory aspect is part of the, um, the, because it's designed to motivate you to reproduce and the animal brain thinks in the short run, the human brain thinks in the long run and looks for every possible thing that may go wrong at any point in time in the future so you drive yourself crazy. So you got to find something in the middle. Yeah. And it's just been retraining the the animal brain. <laughs> That's helped me so much because I've been able to be like, oh, this is a great thing, but I don't need it. And like, I'm stable. I'm good. Like all of the, all of the work that we do to just empower ourselves, I guess. But um, this was so great. This is so great having you on. I learned so much. Um, it was very helpful, uh, especially learning the whys behind some of the things that I've been doing that I know have really worked for me and my clients, like why from a chemical standpoint. Um, so thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, I'd love if you could share just where people can find you, um, your book, uh, just a little bit of of that before we wrap up. Sure. So Inner Mammal Institute is my website, innermammalinstitute.org. Uh, my introductory book is Habits of a Happy Brain, Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Serotonin, Dopamine, Oxytocin, and Endorphin. And I have eight books, but um, that's the most introductory one. And my website has lots and lots of free resources to if, if you like to listen or read or whatever way you want to get your information. 
And uh, thank you for having me. And I'm so glad and excited that you have been able to do this and spreading it to others. Yeah, yeah. I guess it gives me a lot of dopamine and uh, serotonin <laughs> and oxytocin, yes. all of it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I love that. <laughs> Well, I'm going to have to check out your book and guys, I'll have everything linked in the show notes to be able to find uh, Dr. Lareda's book and everything. And um, yeah, we'll look forward to seeing you guys. Oh, and I should explain one more thing. My website has um, an offer of a free five-day happy chemical jumpstart. So if you put your email address in the opt-in at the bottom, you get five emails, one a day for five days, explaining each of the chemicals. Oh, I'm doing, I'm going to do this. You know, I, neurons that fire together, wire together. I want to repeat this stuff. So it's like more, more, yeah, solid there. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. I'll link that in the show notes as well. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much. Great. Good. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye.